everyone, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Adventures in DevOps. I'm Nell Shamrell Harrington. I am an principal engineer at Chef and one of the hosts of the show. Uh, greetings from Seattle. If there's any weird noise that makes it on the recording, there is literally a 60-year-old viaduct coming down uh, about 30 feet from my office. Uh, so that's been interesting, but uh, that's the happenings in my part of Seattle. Uh, with me are my co-hosts, Lee, uh, how are you doing today? Just another day in paradise now. Another day in paradise. And uh, Chuck, how are you? Chuck, I don't know why I just called you Chuck. Uh, Ch I've been called worse. <laughs> all right, Chuck, how are you doing? Doing all right. I uh, ran a 5K this morning and got a personal best. Fixed the dang car for the family trip. And uh, yeah, ready to go. Congratulations. All right, and joining us, we have a guest this week. We have Bob Quillen. Is that how you pronounce your last yeah, name? That's that's right. Oh, yeah. right. I got it right. Uh, Bob, uh, glad to have you with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good to be here. Awesome. Well, let's uh, go ahead and start off. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, Bob? Sure. Yeah, will do. Yeah, so I'm the Vice President of Developer Relations for Oracle Cloud, based here in Austin, Texas. So greetings from Austin. And um, I manage a team of developer advocates that focus on uh, basically cloud native solutions and helping you know, developers engage and develop those applications on top of Oracle Cloud. Joined uh, Oracle about three and a half years ago um, from the Stack Engine acquisition. So we were a startup based in Austin and I was a co-founder CEO and um, so we were an early container management solution for Docker and kind of before the days of Kubernetes, it's hard to believe, but, uh, and we've uh, kind of helped uh, the whole cloud team bring in container technology and really uh, build out some of the developer solutions and services that are built on top of the Oracle cloud, so. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for the introduction. And uh, could you tell us a little bit, I don't know if we've talked yet on the show about the idea of developer advocacy and developer experience. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so you know, our our goal is really to get out and get into the community, uh, focus a lot on uh, cloud native solutions. You know, we work closely with the CNCF, in particular the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, and we do a lot of KubeCon shows, a lot of meetups around the country, around around the world, and really the idea is to engage kind of with developers um, from the bottom up, not do marketing, not make it kind of trying to sell anything, but really kind of educate. You know, we, um, Oracle has a, uh, a big legacy base of customers and applications. We're all trying to move to the cloud. And likewise, we work with a lot of startups on the other side who are, want to work with our customers and work with the uh, community. So really, it's a, a great opportunity to get people uh, engaged at open source technologies, a lot of container cloud native technologies, and really helping migrate and evolve uh, these solutions to the cloud. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's a cultural thing. We don't talk about DevOps today. It's code. It's an, uh, it's, it's a fun time to be kind of, you know, working with, you know, all these different types of communities and, and finding ways to help them move forward. So that's fantastic. Yeah, I know, uh, for me at least, I mean, this has started to change over the past few years, particularly as we have uh, a division of Oracle cloud up here in Seattle, because this is cloud city. Uh, and I, I admit when I when I think of Oracle, I used to think of databases and Java. Right. But it seems like there's way more going on with it now. Yeah, it's um the team up in Seattle is a, a pretty huge team now and it consists of a lot of uh Amazon AWS and Microsoft uh, veterans and folks who were given an opportunity to build a basically an entirely new cloud, uh second generation cloud based upon a lot of the learnings they had um, you know, from helping build out AWS and build out Microsoft Azure. And um, so I'd say uh, this new generation cloud is really designed for security, it's designed for enterprise, designed for scale, um, you know, good price performance, but uh, really flat network allows you to bring in a lot of new enterprise apps, a lot of high, you know, high availability, uh, things that are very disaster recovery you know, focused and, and enterprise scale. So you think about the database, the Java customers we have, we want to be able to have a cloud that supports them. but you know, what we find also is that since we're running open source on top of this, running Kubernetes, containers, and all sorts of, you know, DevOps services, 
it's a great place to run any type of technology. And people want to modernize their infrastructure and their applications while they're trying to also evolve what they have. So, um, you know, I think there's a, uh, like I said, it's, it's that's the role we provide with developer relations. And, and Oracle Cloud is a, a great opportunity to bring, you know, both existing customers and then new customers too. So. Most excellent. Now you, um, you you mentioned something that I've I've never heard before. Uh, you you mentioned a, a second generation cloud, yeah. um, and and now now that you mention it, that makes perfect sense. But for our, our listeners, what distinguishes a uh, a second generation or or later generation cloud from uh, from an earlier generation cloud? Yeah, it's like a sequel, except it's uh, better than the original, right? <laughs> it has Captain Picard in it. <laughs> Yeah, we all like Captain Picard. So, yeah, so I, I think in particular, a lot of it was designed um, from uh, not using a, an approach that was really based upon virtual machines and a virtualized infrastructure, but something that's very flat, really designed around bare metal infrastructure to start with, uh, which allows us to run almost any type of workload um, at really high speeds and high performance. Uh, so uh, that gives you a lot more security, a lot more design for enterprise solutions, um, but also, uh, since we're developing it uh, kind of, you know, with new technologies today, uh, we've kind of built this flat non-blocking network. So um, it's very easy to virtualize the network itself and build a server infrastructure on top of it. And, um, and I think that's been one of the key differences. It's not built on a, a VM-based architecture. It's really based on something that can support bare metal, can support high-performance apps. Um, and it's really can use a lot of the new open source technologies uh, which really just pushes us towards that multi-cloud future that I think everyone is dreaming of. Uh, a lot of the early clouds kind of locked you in based upon proprietary APIs and that kind of thing. And um, using more open source technology, you know, we do a lot of stuff with, like I said, containers and CNCF and Kubernetes. Um, that allows you to basically you know, move workloads from the enterprise to the cloud, across clouds. And you know, that's a, a fundamental design principle uh, that kind of was built into this next generation of cloud. So um, people think of it as a hyperscale cloud and you have the benefits of coming in kind of later with newer technology and design principles that kind of are focused at the enterprise and Oracle's customer base. Um, and so it's, it's a win-win, you, you know, build out these high scale applications, but also uh, you could do it at a price performance level that's consistent or better uh, with the current cloud providers that are out there. So. Yeah, one thing that I I look at these days, and and you're kind of talking your way around this, but I'm I'm wondering because part of this is going to be informed by oh we wish we had designed this piece better in AWS or Azure or something like that, and part of it's going to be wrapped around um, you know where people are at now and what they're looking forward to and asking for these days. And so I, I'm curious, do you have features in Oracle Cloud that aren't in the other clouds? You know, a lot of them have you know, feature parity as far as block storage and, you mm -hmm. know, so, some of the uh, server hosting and, um, you know, functions and things like that. But are there things that people are asking you for that you're kind of in a better position to deliver than, than some of the other clouds? Yeah. So you know, since we have basically our, you know, our database technology that we moved into our cloud, uh, we have an autonomous database capability with autonomous data warehouse services, autonomous transaction processing, and uh, like I said, the, the high performance design of the cloud kind of then allows database workloads that were in the enterprise to easily move into um, the cloud itself. The idea is that you want to make it easy for existing customers to basically just transition to the cloud um, and then eliminate all their infrastructure costs and basically just pay for what they use um, and not have all the, all the operational overhead. So the, um, the ability, you know, there's the idea of lifting and shifting uh, which is kind of the first one of the first moves that people make. If I want to take an application, I want to move it into the cloud and make sure it works. In some ways, that's a, that's the first thing people try to do. We want to make sure we design with the principle of like, if you move it out of your data center, it's going to work as well or better and actually have better security and better performance and be cheaper to run in the cloud. Um, a lot of stuff that we work on in cloud native is that it's not just lifting and shifting, it's moving and improving because when you move stuff into the cloud, you want to take advantage of all the cloud services. You want to take advantage of containers and streaming, and you want to take advantage of different uh, DevOps principles that allow you to uh, maybe use a serverless approach. Um, so we built a lot of that capability around 
uh, what we do too. So it's some ways we're seeing a lot of folks not only move an application in, but then they start shifting parts of it into maybe a, a container or, or a Kubernetes model, although they're still using maybe a data, Oracle database in the back end uh, so they can move it incrementally. And that's, that's one of the best practices we've seen is people move to the cloud, they can move things in, almost look and shift it in, but also then start um, re-engineering and re-platforming to take on new technology. So, you know, some of the existing clouds are great for a greenfield application. That's kind of what they're built for. You know, you can build from scratch and just go there and, and have at it. But these legacy apps have a lot of security, compliance, uh, have a lot of performance constraints. Um, and that's one thing that the, those design principles went into the, into the Oracle cloud itself. And, you know, with cloud native technologies, now we can bring those enterprise principles along with open source and kind of get that, you know, together, which once again, you don't usually hear that people using cloud native along with, you know, highly secure and highly performant, but um, that's a, another area that we think is a, an advantage for kind of the, the design around what we're doing with Oracle Cloud. So. I like that you mentioned people uh, migrating legacy applications to the cloud and having to kind of tease them apart. You you almost have to, not always, but there there's some refactoring you have to do with the application. You find yeah. the seams. Mm -hmm. Like if we look at the classic uh, code refactoring book, uh, the author's name is escaping me at the moment, but I will put that in the show notes. Uh, but one of the, I was, as part of my work at Chef, I was on site, yes, Martin Fowler uh, is the name of the person who wrote the refactoring book. Uh, thank you, Lee. And I remember I was on site at a customer who worked in the security arena, which is about all I can say about them. Mm -hmm. And because of their security requirements, we were trying to tease apart this web application they had, and they had to use Apache 5. They could not use Apache 6 because Apache 5 was approved and Apache 6 was not. So we had to figure out a way to move something dependent on Apache 5 into a cloud solution or into a containerized solution. And I think it's important, as you alluded to, to you know, recognize that so many organizations, they, have they can't go the latest and greatest because they have restrictions, but they can still get benefits uh, from moving into a better way of things than they're doing now. Yeah, we have a, um, one of the big customers we have that's uh, kind of going down that path is CERN, uh, the big linear accelerator out in Switzerland. And, and uh, they have a big web logic uh, set of services and database services. They've been running their own data center. Um, they started moving over to Kubernetes or so using some of the uh, Kubernetes operator patterns to be able to run uh, these web logic applications on top of the Kubernetes environment. So um, what they've been able to do is I think get down from a uh, deployment time of hours into deployment time of minutes, and um, but keeps but still keep the web logic infrastructure working, but use the overlay of the operator and Kubernetes. Um, and that pattern seems to work very well for people to, um, it's, you know, it leverages what they know. Um, it's kind of you don't you don't have to actually you know jump right into cloud native and do everything you know greenfield and refactor everything. Use what you know. Um, be kind of uh, inclusive into the idea of you know, using the technology that you have re reference points on. And I think we've seen various uh, examples of that in, in lots of different areas. Um, Java being one of them and um, are some of the database technologies too. Is we find ways to get give people on ramps to the to, to cloud itself based upon what they know, it gets them there faster versus having to rewrite the whole thing. So. Yeah, we, we've kind of been talking around some of these things. Uh, do you have to refactor to move into the cloud? Or can you move into the cloud and then and then tease it apart a piece at a time? No, I think it's you know clearly it's dependent on the application. But I think a lot of people, some of the first things we saw, and this has been just even over the last probably three to four years, four to five years, containers. Is sometimes the first thing people do is drop a whole application or part of an application into a container, then they start teasing it apart. Um, likewise, a bare metal. Uh, node in, in Oracle Cloud is like running it in your own data center. Basically, you have the security performance and the isolation built in. So you can actually move things to the cloud and get some benefits immediately. Um, but love, but you're not getting necessarily the, the benefits of, of the cloud infrastructure, cloud-native technology, DevOps, all those things. Um, but sometimes it's a good first step where you get your feet wet um, and you you learn you learn something from doing all those those, those steps. And I think that's um, you know, that's been a, one of the best practices we've seen is that don't, don't delay 
and taking advantage of some of the cloud. You can actually, you can lift and ship things in. Um, do, from a monolith perspective, there will be some refactoring required on the edges. Um, and then you can choose how to break things apart. Uh, but typically people, when they move the cloud, do have some other um, principles in mind of how they want to benefit from the cloud itself and some of the DevOps uh, you know, benefits too. So. Uh, you, you've mentioned the isolation that Oracle Cloud provides um, a couple times. Uh, I'm curious, how, how does Oracle achieve that, that level of isolation? Or uh, at what point does it, um, does it do the segregation between one customer's environment and, and another? Yeah, so I think one of the um, differences is we use a lot of off-box IO virtualization. So there's a, there's a lot of technology underneath it where they actually just separated off uh, the networking from the server itself. So um, they operated at, in different, um, uh, different layers. So you can drop, basically that allows you to drop a, a, a bare metal node in there and then basically have a full isolation from other types of servers. There's no noisy neighbor issue there. Um, and the uh, and now if you start getting to beyond that, I get I lose a little bit of the, the technical details, but it's flat, non-blocking, um, and they use a kind of off-box uh, virtualization model where it actually allows you to um, separate the network from the server itself versus having them combine in a kind of a network and server virtualization model, which is kind of what the original um, sort of first generation systems had to do. They were kind of based upon your standard server, virtualiz server virtualization where you had all the VMs kind of using the same underlying infrastructure and there's security challenges there. And there's also fairly noisy neighbor issues there too. So, um, so there's a, there's a lot of stuff been written about this like isolation in the network design. But that was kind of, you know, once you were given a, a clean slate, they were able to build this flat non-blocking network and separate the network virtualization from the server infrastructure itself, which like give them gives the infrastructure uh, elements a lot more uh, performance, but also a lot more security isolation. Just by, uh, virtue of being uh, isolated, isolated network virtualization from the um, server itself. So interesting. So yeah. when when a new customer signs up for Oracle Cloud, do they do they get their own physical hardware provision? They can. They okay. can. And, 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 you know, for performance and price and et cetera. So if, I'm, if people want to have a more disposable system, there's more virtual machines that have been added in as, as options. There's GPUs. There's a whole range of shapes now. Um, but we were one of the, the earlier bare metal uh, clouds and kind of how it started. Um, and then we began to break up uh, the, the virtualization to allow people to have a, maybe a cheaper disposable VM itself. They want to have something that's um, you know, less expensive or you could have a bare metal node, which is actually still very price, price performance competitive. And when people want to run these applications, a lot of times they have to have their own system itself um, and it gives them the maximum performance, uh, but they don't have to own the infrastructure, they don't have to manage it, they don't have to keep it up and running. So they have that managed service capability, which is a lot more sustainable and eliminates a lot of the uh, overhead too. So. Do you uh, see customers using kind of a hybrid solution of some uh, hardware in their own data center and some hardware in the Oracle, Oracle Cloud? Yeah, we're seeing more and more um, use cases for kind of the, the uh, hybrid uh, cloud model. Um, some is, you know, they will develop in the cloud and maybe deploy in the on-prem. Um, you know, development tests up in the cloud, some is cheaper um, and uh, tests can be somewhat, it's easy to bring a test up, bring it down, especially in containers too. We find there's a lot of container technology people using for uh, building out test cases, et cetera. Put them up, tear them down and you're done in a day or something like that. Um, so we also see people do, doing DR where they will do a DR site, disaster recovery site in the cloud and run on-prem. So that's another standard pattern that we see. Um, we're starting to see people also begin to move workloads based upon, you know, if it's um, based upon the regulatory compliance. If it has to stay in country, they may stay on-prem. If it doesn't, it can actually go in the cloud. That's another area that we're starting to see people begin to run, run workload-specific hybridization that's going on. And then we're just beginning uh, more of the um, kind of more dynamic provisioning where you could use things like uh, federated Kubernetes and some of those models. Uh, to put together a more multi-cloud or um, hybrid model where it's, it's more dynamic and autonomous. That's a little harder, a little more sophisticated, 
Um, and you, that's, you know, it's just distributed system problem of trying to keep that from running. We just had an announcement, um, which we made with Microsoft, interestingly enough, where we built some high performance connections and are doing uh, cloud to cloud interactions and will offer solutions where we integrate. People can run a lot of the Microsoft solutions in the cloud and a lot of the database solutions in our cloud. You might actually see a, you know, an application that runs across those two, two worlds. Turns out there's a lot of customers we have that are Microsoft users for the productivity apps and, and database users for the database apps. Um, that's a standard, you know, we share a lot of customers that have that kind of mixture. And I've talked to a lot of them that are kind of excited about having, you know, Azure and Oracle working together too. So kind of weird bed partners in a way, but, you know, it kind of works out. <laughs> Yeah, I like the way you described that because I remember wondering about that. I remember I saw the announcement a few months ago around Oracle partnering with Azure, and I thought that's interesting. Uh, two clouds kind of partnering together, but it makes sense that people might you know, be used to Azure for certain services, trust Azure for those services, but still want to use Oracle for uh, you know the things it does really, really well, which includes databases. So. Right. I've heard of you know cloud agnostic applications, applications right. that can be deployed mm -hmm. on any cloud, but cloud spanning applications, I think, is something new and it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it is, it is exciting, and um, it's kind of maybe a next or the next wave of, of potential. You see a lot of customers will come in and say, we have uh, we partnered with these you know various um, you know, technology companies, Microsoft here, Oracle here, maybe Amazon over here. And they kind of separated maybe different uh, focus areas for those partnerships and, and applications and usages and things like that. So, uh, but they're asking for those things to start to integrate because when they move to the cloud, um, you can't just, you know, choose one cloud if you have multiple applications that span those different partners. So. Does the does the Oracle Cloud have any provisions for um, machine learning or AI workloads? Yes, we have a um, an, you know, an AI set of services, machine learning, a lot of big data, um, data lake, data science technologies. Um, and then, interestingly enough, there's a we work with a lot of uh, companies who are using sort of that cloud native Kubernetes technology underneath uh, to do server infrastructure management and do all the, the data science stuff above that. Um, where VML and uh, sort of the, uh, well, we see inter interactions happen with things, something called Kubeflow, where Kubernetes is running on uh, right below uh, the machine learning side too. Uh, so yeah, AI, ML, big data, as you can imagine, anything related to, um, you know, big data and data science uh, relates to what we do at Oracle with, with the data technology and database technology, the natural extension there. And then people want to process all that technology um, and that's where a lot of the streaming and this other kind of uh, automation services come in also. Do you guys focus on, on a specific uh, GPU platform or do you have a variety of, of GPUs to choose from? Um, we have a variety of GPUs to choose from um, and I'd have to look at the details. I haven't actually checked where we are with that, but there's a, I know we've done some partnering and um, there's some pretty cool stuff that's going on on the GPU side. Um, but uh, it's an area that's uh, obviously massive growth and, and massive potential. So, um, yep. What is, um, or rather does, uh, does Oracle have a uh, sort of a managed uh, Kubernetes offering like, like uh, AKS or, uh, or the Google, uh, yeah. Google platform? Yeah, and, that, and that's a lot of the technology that, um, that's come out of the, some of the original Stack Engine team, a lot of the container technology teams that have come into Oracle and, and over the last few years, we launched that almost a year and a half ago, two years ago. So we have a Oracle, it's called Oracle Container Engine for Kubernetes. It's a, you know, CNCF compliant, it's been certified. Uh, basically it's, it runs as a, uh, we run the, uh, it's a managed service. Uh, so we run the uh, control plane for you. So all the uh, master uh, control servers are, are run. Um, you know, for you, it's high availability, cross cross domain, um, and um, then you run uh, the data plane, uh, the worker nodes in your own tenancy. Um, but um, full kind of integration with the rest of Oracle and uh, Oracle cloud services, um, it's, you know, it connects to our, we have a container registry, which is Docker v2 uh, registry compliant, um, and there's a lot of you know, automation and auto scaling and all the Kubernetes capabilities that are, are built into that. So it's been a very successful service. Interestingly enough, um, it's 
it has high demand both externally but also in, internally because you can think of all the application services that we have in SaaS services that are moving you know into the cloud and, and you know modernizing they're all building on top of things like Kubernetes also so we have uh, a lot of demand and in some ways people call it eating your own dog food or drinking your own champagne but we have to supply a lot of those Kubernetes services to our own internal customers who are some of the most demanding application services around because they're they're delivering services to their end users too so that's kind of the uh, the Oracle Cloud infrastructure not only supports end users, but also supports all the Oracle apps. And that's been a, a huge push over the last few years just to consolidate all the SaaS properties and a lot of those, those applications on top of Oracle Cloud, which puts more emphasis on, even more emphasis on security and performance to keep our own apps alive along with uh, our customers. Too, so. Awesome. Well, while we're on the subject of Kubernetes, uh, when I found out you were going to be on the show this week, I did some research and an article I found you wrote back in March, which was Kubernetes, the end of the DIY era. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I think it was Container Journal. Yeah, Container Journal. And talking about what I took from it, and I want want to ask if that's correct, was it seemed like you were saying, you know, running your own Kubernetes cluster is way too much of a learning curve for most organizations, and it's better to go with a managed Kubernetes service. Uh, But can can you speak more to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... um... You see a lot of um, surveys and a lot of the uh, kind of research in terms of what's uh, what are some of the big uh, uh, what's holding people back and what are the big challenges around adoption of the technology and complexity is a big one and uh, you know learning all these technologies and over the last few years there was you know before there was a lot of Kubernetes services um, people had to stand that up themselves and ran, run it and manage it and we went to a lot of conferences where people talked about those that journey they went through in terms of uh, you know, how they stood up Kubernetes, how they're running it themselves, et cetera. It's kind of a badge of honor. You can put that trophy on your mantle and say, I did it myself. Um, but more and more, um, what they're finding is that they don't have to do that anymore. Now that the cloud services have come in, especially over the last probably 18 months in particular, all the major cloud providers, um, including Oracle Cloud, have a, a managed Kubernetes service. Um, so it allows you to leapfrog the customers that kind of waited, and that's that's a broad base, probably about 80, probably 90% of the customers who haven't actually tried to do it themselves, and now don't have to build up all that underlying knowledge, don't have to go through the education and, and that learning curve to how I manage it, how I run it myself, where you can actually get a managed service to do it for you and keep it up and running. There's, you know, there's a lot of work becoming a Kubernetes expert, keeping up with all the maintenance releases, um, managing the master servers, the etcd servers, the networking itself, back-end connections, all the kind of stuff. We've done all that work for you, um, and then we manage that for you, and you just run the application on top of that. So that's that's where the, and that's where the DIY model, I think, is, uh, is, is basically doesn't make any sense anymore. Um, and that, that goes for people who actually learn to do it themselves. They, they went through the hard knocks, school of hard knocks. Um, they got all the battle scars, but there were some of the first ones to say, hey, if I had to do it again, I would just use the managed service. I'm um, one of those people. I, I've stood <laughs> my own with cops. Yeah. Uh, this was two years ago. It yeah. was extraordinarily painful. I don't know. It may be less painful now, but yeah. I decided if I was going to do it again, I was going to use a, a managed service. Yeah. And they're, they're kind of buggy and everything's changing as you go. And that's kind of fun for a hacker and a developer and you know, removing something kind of a, you know, at home or on the side. But if you do have a, when you're starting to move a full enterprise app in, um, it's kind of exciting to see that the maturation happened. We're now, we're, we're, you know, there's managed services available. There's more of a focus around, you know, monitoring those, observability around security. Um, a lot of those sort of secondary production level um, focus areas have become critical as people kind of moved out of that, just get it working to now actually get it working, get it running and make it uh, something that's production level. So. Um, and I think that's that's kind of that nice evolution we've seen is that, you know, first of all, just developers getting it running, getting it off the ground. And, you know, Google did it themselves and all the Netflix, all the big web scale companies kind of did it themselves, proved how you do it. The best practices were built around it. The cloud vendors came in, kind of built a set of managed services. And now it's kind of democratized all those technologies and opened it up to everyone else. So um, that's been a pretty rapid path, but it's, you know, it's definitely a, 
it's been fun to see and, and, and watch how people can rapidly adopt that technology without having to learn all the, the nuts and bolts. So. I, I wonder if there's anything lost um, from, from just a knowledge-based perspective, not, uh, you know, not necessarily having to go through and, and do it the hard way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think you, uh, I think that's with any managed service, when you go to the cloud, you're expecting some level of abstraction and there are people to manage it for you. Um, and what, what we found is a lot of people that did it themselves also moved into the cloud. And that's kind of been the model of a lot of open source now too, which is people can do it themselves. And that's what part of the idea. But then you see a lot of, um, and there's some controversy around this, of course, but um, there's a lot of cloud, cloud vendors now that can take open source, make it less complex, make it a managed service. Of course, now the, they're making money off the open source and that's a whole nother kind of probably uh, Right. That's a whole nother episode. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, we'll do a crossover with sustain our software, which is a show we're just launching about there you go. for sustainability. Yeah. But um, with the CNCF technologies and you know, we're a platinum member of that and we're supportive of that. I think the idea is that now um, you have the option to run it yourself. You can run it on platforms that are available on-prem. But, um, we have one or Oracle Linux cloud native environment has an on-prem uh, integrated container solution that sits on top of the Oracle Linux uh, stack. Um, you could also run the cloud in any cloud provider you want. So in some ways, it's it's now pervasively available. You can move these workloads at some level around. Um, and, and I think that's one of the beauties of, of the CNCF technologies is that now um, there's just choice. And that was kind of, that was the promise of open source. And it, it does push to a multi-cloud future, which we all want, at least some of us want. And uh, and I think that's the, uh, um, you know, that's the goal. So. A story I like to share sometimes is a few years ago, I was working on a political campaign. I'm not going to say which one, but I was working on, on a campaign. Uh, we were dependent on several cloud services. On election day, one of them went down. Oof. Yep. Uh, wow. And I decided, I mean, it, it turned out okay, they got it back up. Uh, but I decided at that point for anything that's that date critical, because election day, it doesn't move. And you don't get a chance to do it. Some people would like to do them over sometimes, but 99.999, whatever percent of the time, you don't do it over. I decided for anything that date critical, I was going to have multiple cloud services for every a major component of the application. Yes. Yeah. And I think having that diversity and, and having some, uh, you know, it's that chaos monkey that we're all trying to design for and you try to anticipate it, but you know, sometimes it's just, you, you can't anticipate everything, but we're getting better and better at it. That's for sure. One thing that I'm curious about is, uh, you know, we've seen different um, technologies get adopted into clouds and, and, you know, just kind of the state of work has moved forward. And, and I see other things coming forward as far as technology goes, and I'm kind of building up to something. So, uh, you know, hang, hang tight for a second, but, you know, we, we see, you know, containers become a thing. And then all of a sudden it's not EC2, it's the Kubernetes setup, right? In, in the different clouds. Um, and then we see AI start to build. And so now all of the clouds have AI infrastructure. So, I mean, where, where do you see cloud computing going next? Blockchain, VR, IoT, uh, you know, so, so, some other hot technology. Serverless. Um, Serverless is a good, is good one where, I, you know, we have a, we just actually uh, rolled out our uh, Oracle Functions, which is a serverless, uh, functions as a service platform um, built on FN Project. The FN Project is an open source project. Uh, that Oracle started about two years ago. So um, kind of that consistency around having an open source approach, uh, building a community around that, and then uh, now actually launching a service to support that. I think serverless is a, is a, is a great kind of um, adjunct to what we've seen in, on the infrastructure side with uh, Kubernetes, um, abstracting away from the infrastructure, having some things that been driven uh, it really fills in a, a big void, I think, for a set of customers. So I think that's going to be exciting. Um, I do believe AI ML is going to help a lot. Um, that kind of goes, the more we keep abstracting up, um, it's going to help developers be better at developing code. And, and, and AI ops is a, you know, another extension of DevOps where people are looking to automate and control and, and uh, take away a lot of the uh, um, administrative 
uh, you know, day-to-day activities that are still kind of, you know, put on DevOps teams themselves. And, and IoT reaching out to the edge will bring a lot of those VR and AR and, you know, intelligent devices into the cloud itself. Um, and then you process them. You know, serverless is a great application for those, by the way, too, because you, you, know, you don't have a lot of processing power on the edge. So, you know, serverless and lightweight applications on the edge, core processing of the data as it comes into the core around things around cloud native and Kubernetes. You're starting to see some of these technologies maybe find homes where in the future, all this stuff starts to make a, you know, nice um, integrated mesh of, of um, interactions that um, pushes forward. So, but I think all those things are, are critical building blocks over the next probably three to five to seven years. Um, and a lot of the work that we've done to really strengthen the core um, and automate all that underlying infrastructure allows that to happen um, in a much more free way. So. One of the uh, more fascinating applications of machine learning I read about recently was uh, the U.S. Air Force uh, has been taking pictures of each of their uh, uh, planes when they come in for a landing, their fighter planes. And through collecting that data, uh, they taught the programs to detect when an air, airplane uh, component needs maintenance uh, before the human eye can detect it. And it's interesting because you mentioned abstraction. I mean, I, I am the proud daughter of two Air Force officers, including a pilot. And I can't imagine, you know, my dad, who was the pilot, thinking, you know, I want to do, I want to implement this machine learning in this way, use all this terminology. Uh, his question, you know, is, does my plane need maintenance or does it not? A right. crew chief's question will be, does this plane need, need my attention to get, ma- to get maintenance on it or not? And it's interesting because I think uh, the cloud services have really helped with that, mm-hmm. abstracting the extremely hard technical area that I think you know, most of us love, at least I do. Um, but getting better at taking a non or theoretically non-technical question mm-hmm. and allowing someone to get an answer to it really quickly. Yeah. I agree. And I, that's a, it's, it's just, when we talk to, we do a lot of work with our startup community, especially here in Austin too. Um, and I just see there's this creative explosion of, of innovation um, related to all those things that were, you couldn't do this two to three years ago, but everyone's folk, everyone's building an AI, they're building an ML, they're building in, they're assuming the infrastructure is going to uh, be manageable and they're not even worried about it as much as you as we used to be, um, and um, probably looking to solve our, you know, some pretty big societal problems. And um, the fact they're able to start focusing on those versus the um, dealing with bits and bytes of the network and the storage and, and the service themselves, it's, I think, uh, you know, it, it makes me feel kind of positive about the future so we can actually start solving some bigger, bigger problems that we couldn't solve before. So, Do you have any uh, anecdotes of Oracle clients um, migrating to your cloud um, that you're particularly uh, proud of? Yeah. And, you know, I think the, uh, the first one I spoke of is um, CERN. We talk about, um, you know, they're using WebLogic, using database, and beginning to, you know, migrate uh, those technologies into, um, uh, into the cloud themselves, uh, be able to move uh, using the WebLogic operator, which we built for Kubernetes. Um, and, and these operators basically are, you know, we see similar customers using the MySQL operator for Kubernetes too. Um, these operator models are, are great uh, use cases for, um, you know, people like CERN themselves. We have a customer called Beeline um, that's also doing uh, hybrid models where they're building at a disaster recovery site. That's another one I think is a, a great example um, you mentioned before. Uh, where uh, they're using um, their Oracle Cloud infrastructure and they're using a lot of container technology uh, to build out DR sites um, and running, still running a lot of their uh, enterprise apps um, uh, on, on site, um, on-prem, but also then beginning to do DR um, activities up in the cloud. That's another sort of common, common model. Um, and then we have some pretty exciting um, services and startups here in Austin that are working with us very closely. I think one one I call out would be Plosa, 
uh, which is doing a AI and ML uh, data model where they do high data, data processing, but they're using uh, Kubernetes underlying uh, that infrastructure and they're doing a lot of benchmarking around uh, which is the fastest way to process data streams at, at high volumes. And um, good example of a, kind of a big data ML application, uh, but using underlying infrastructure and then beginning to benchmark at some pretty high volumes where they're getting the best performance and how to actually um, use that. So Flows uh, is one that we work with very closely here. And that's another one I would kind of recommend looking at some of their blogs around what they're doing, how they're doing it, um, et cetera. So um, good, good examples around AI, ML, around hybrid, around operators and RobLogic itself. Um, I think there's, uh, we're beginning, we just uh, launched our autonomous database services recently. And we have a uh, um, service broker uh, built on the uh, open service broker API uh, that we launched for Kubernetes recently we open source that. And we're just starting to find some uh, customers who are doing use cases around using autonomous database, which allows you to move a lot of the application database, database applications to the cloud. But they're also using Kubernetes applications around uh, linking that to um, uh, Kubernetes with this open service broker, Oracle service broker technology, service brokers, operators, um, API gateways. These are all kind of ways to integrate technologies and sort of make it easier to bring in the enterprise uh, customers um, into the cloud itself and kind of connect things together. Uh, so those are some, some quick examples. Hopefully I think I hit a few of them. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Do, do you have any uh, case studies on, on people migrating um, yeah. from, say, Amazon to Oracle and, and maybe realizing uh, cost savings or performance improvements? Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of who I just talked to recently that went through that. Um, we've seen some customers who have gotten, and these are, I think, available on some of the success stories online, et cetera. Um, people who have made that transition. Uh, the price performance characteristics around um, uh, around what we're doing with OCI uh, provides better performance, faster performance, um, and they're able to actually you know, throw away basically get massive performance improvements and security improvements at the same time. So we're seeing some of that transition happening currently, along with folks looking to how to you know bridge AWS together with OCI and Azure too for multi-cloud solutions. So that's excellent. All right. Well, we're coming uh, closer to the end of our time. Uh, anything else people want to discuss before we move on to picks? I guess uh, the only other thing that I'm curious about is across all the different features, which ones do you see people using the most? I mean, which one is, gets the most heavily used or the most, uh, I guess, API calls and things like that? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're not surprised. We see a lot, a lot of activity around um, the container engine for Kubernetes, um, and that uh, it's just moved into the mainstream. And I, it's you know it's the leading solution within the cloud native computing foundation. It gets the most coverage. So we're seeing a, um, a lot of hits on that. Uh, about we just about six six to nine months ago, we released the resource manager, which is built on Terraform and uh, Terraform as a service, and we're. That's actually very, very popular too, because it provides kind of uses the open uh, standard around Terraform, um, but provides that as a service too. So that's another area we're seeing a lot of activity where people are using that to integrate uh, different services and automate um, interactions too. So those are two um, two areas where we're seeing a lot of, um, and, and people are using resource manager to trigger things and Kubernetes and back and forth. So we also, um, since we just released our, our functions product um, and our events service too, um, those are um, those have been in limited availability, but there's been a lot of activity around people using um, uh, the event service connected with the functions of serverless capability to connect in uh, triggered events when they drop in a, an event that's a security event when something happens that's a database event, um, triggering another set of activities. Uh, if this and that kind of um, event-driven activities too. So that has um, a lot of uh, traction right now in the open source world and with our um, early beta customers. So uh, a lot of 
I think, anticipation around using the serverless over the next probably six to 12 months as being kind of the next big wave too for adoption. And the early indications that's going to be very popular too. So. Excellent. Well, let's uh, go ahead and move into picks before we close out the show. I have two today. Uh, one is the bug report forums uh, for the Ubuntu Ubiquity package. I was in attempting to install Ubuntu on my new ThinkPad, uh, but the installer kept freezing on me. So I did some creative Googling, found uh, this bug report, and a lot of other people confirmed it, and then uh, people posted workarounds. So I was able to get Ubuntu working on that ThinkPad, which I greatly appreciated. Um, my other is a non-tech pick, and that is the restaurant called Canlis here in Seattle. I, I feel like I'm uh, advocating for Seattle a lot this episode. I'm not doing it intentionally. Uh, but Canlis is fascinating because it's fine dining that's experimental but still relatable is how I would put it in that, yeah, they're doing a lot of experiments with food, but you still know what it is you're getting. It's still relatable as food. Uh, and what I loved was we got there a little early for a reservation. I was taking my wife out to celebrate her law school graduation. And we sat at the bar. I don't drink alcohol, uh, but I got to watch two absolute master bartenders so calmly. Their hands were a blur, but carrying out these very intricate combinations, garnishes, et cetera. So if you're in Seattle, if you're looking for a really special meal, I highly recommend Canlis. And with that, Lee, how about you? Thank you for that recommendation. I've, uh, I've been needing to take my partner out to, to somewhere nice uh, for a while now myself, so we will check that out. Um, for me, I've got, uh, I've got three picks today. Uh, the first one uh, is, a, is a news article on uh, artificial intelligence uh, made from a sheet of glass. They're, they're basically doing a uh, machine learning implementation that requires no power. Um, and once they've, once they've got the, uh, I guess the, the algorithms um, figured out, they can somehow encode it into a sheet of glass. And when they shine light through it, that, uh, that represents uh, you know, somebody writing, you know, handwriting a number, whether it's the number two, the number eight, the, the pattern that that light going through the glass um, will end up identifying like what the number is. And I'm, I'm probably butchering the, uh, the Cliff's Notes version of it, but it's just from a tech perspective, I thought that was super cool. Um, my, my other pick for this week is uh, the Hugo web framework. Uh, I've been migrating some of my, my old personal sites uh, from WordPress uh, to Hugo just because there, there's no need to really run you know, the whole database uh, and caching infrastructure for um, you know a three-page site that that rarely changes, uh, and Hugo has been making that process just incredibly easy, and, and the sites are fast and responsive, um, and and I've enjoyed them muchly. Um, I've also uh, been reading the book uh, Micromastery: uh, Learn Small, Learn Fast, and Unlock Your Potential to Achieve Anything uh, by Robert Twigger. And that is, uh, that, that's been a very interesting take on, on how humans learn and, and how you can sort of optimize that process and, and build up uh, complex, uh, deeply learned patterns from, from very simple repetition. Awesome. Uh, Chuck, how about you? Yeah, I've got a few picks here. So uh, one is I just set things up so that you can recommend topics and guests for the shows, including this show. Um, so if you have a a topic that you want to hear us discuss, um, you can put it in, um, just go to uh, devchat.tv slash adventures in DevOps. That's with dashes in the middle of those uh, slash recommend. And you can give us a recommendation. Um, I just threw a few things in there so that it would have something in it. Um, some of them looked interesting to me and some of them just kind of were the things at the top of my head. Um, but yeah, so go ahead and throw the, throw them in. Uh, you can also go upvote um, the different topics. So if there's one in there that you think you really want to hear about that somebody else suggested, you can also vote on that. Um, I'm using a system called canny.io, um, that's C-A-N-N-Y.io. So I'm going to shout out about that as well. Um, I've been reading a book that's really got me thinking about a lot of the ways that I do things uh, at devchat.tv um, called Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's kind of a classic a business book and really, really, really enjoying that um, and really enjoying uh, thinking about it 
So yeah, those are some of the things that I've got going on and uh, we'll be spending time thinking about. Awesome. Bob, do you have any picks, uh, things that have been useful to you in the past week or so? <laughs> yeah, I was throwing in some, uh, I'll throw in some uh, uh, things in the, the chat around different videos, et cetera, that are uh, kind of maybe highlights of stuff we talked about and plug people to. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm picking a, uh, places to fish on my vacation right now. So that's, that's, my, that's where my picks are right now. So oh, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> if, if you ever make it out to Seattle, uh, I can recommend some spots, um, along the, uh, the rivers and lakes out here. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to do that. I'm going to head up to the Lake Tahoe area and do some fly fishing up there soon. So nice. Where, uh, where can people, uh, find out more about you, about where you write or, or tweet or even as re if they want to learn more about Oracle cloud. Yeah, so um, definitely, you know, check out the website, you know, oracle.com has tons of content. Cloudnative.oracle.com is one that our uh, developer relations team maintains. Um, and that has a lot of content around blogs and um, solutions and some of the uh, focus areas around sort of the container native world. Uh, so um, definitely that's cloudnative.oracle.com is a good place to check out. Uh, developer.oracle.com has a broad set of tools uh, that go from Java to um, database to uh, Kubernetes, et cetera, too. So for developers who are looking for, you know, something that's not just cloud native, but in, in container centric, but something more, more broad across the whole Oracle sort of foundation, that's another place to, to check out a great a resource for information also. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Bob. This has been great. Um, and I, I think I'm going to have to create a uh, an Oracle cloud account just to, See what you guys been building over there. Cool, thanks. We'd love to have you. Yeah, it's fun kind of hearing it from the other side where it's a cloud provider telling us how they see what we do. <laughs> um, well, thank you everyone for being here, uh, Bob and Lee and Chuck. Uh, thank you to all our listeners and we will uh, see you next week. Take care, everyone. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.